So we continue our VAD, our Wednesday night VAD, on the life-changing Taira of Rav Shimon Schwab. For those Talmidim that are new here and that may not know who Rav Schwab was, uh, Rav Schwab was born in Germany, in Frankfurt. Uh, he was schooled in the Hirschian um, institutions. Uh, he was a Talmud of Rav Shamshim Fal Hirsch's son-in-law, Rav Shlema Zalman Breuer. And then he went uh, to Eastern Europe to learn in the great yeshivas, including Tells and the Mir, uh, where he learned under great Rosh Yeshivas and Mashkichim. Uh, he came back to Germany... He became a rav in, a, uh, in, in certain uh, cities in Germany, and then uh, he ended up immigrating uh, right before the war to America. He got a position in Baltimore. Ultimately, he would um, take uh, a partnership position with Rav Breuer, his rabbi's son, who had established a, uh, at the time, a very robust community in Washington Heights, uh, which still exists, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of the members moved to greener pastures, to uh, other uh, parts of the uh, New York area and New Jersey. But uh, Rav Schwab really uh, became the spokesperson, perhaps the leading terrorist spokesperson in America for many decades. He was always uh, the featured uh, keynote address at many conventions, the Agoda Convention, etc., and his word was very sought after, his advice, his opinion, his ashkafa. And he published many popular svarim. And primarily the one that we're learning this man, this year, is called Mayan Beis HaShoeva. It's his Tehran uh, on Chumash. And um, it's a very popular, I would say it's even a classic. Uh, a, very few bar mitzvah boys get less than many... Uh, then several editions of it. Uh, it's it's just a uh, you know a beautiful work and Mitzvah uh, Hashem. As we go throughout the rest of the uh, the year, we will experience the beautiful Tyra of Rav Schwab. So let's uh, begin at the beginning of this week's parsha in Parshas Bay. The pasuk says, "Vayemer Hashem al Meisha." Hashem speaks to Meisha and says, "Bay el Paray, come to Paray." Or go to Parai, I have hardened his heart, I have made his heart completely unable to bend at this point. And I've done this for the simple reason that I don't want him to do tshuva anymore. I want him right now to be able to maintain his stubbornness so that I can uh, place upon him all of my makas, all of my, uh, all of the wrath that he deserves. Um, and so that's the way uh, he, will, uh, he will remain until the end of the makas, which is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Baruch atah adinay So, Rashi, what does Rashi say? Bayal paray v'hasra bay. Go to paray and give him hasra, give him a warning. Very strange. It seems like there's some point in giving him warnings every maka, one maka at a time, warn him about this play coming, about that play coming. What's the point of the warnings? Warnings are not just 
you know, for the sake of giving a warning. Warning is for legitimately uh, expecting the person to heed the warning and to change. But HaKadosh Baruch already told Maishu Rabbeinu in this Pasuk that Parah is not going to change. That Parah's heart is hardened and there's no flexibility left in him. He's not going to be able to bend to my will. And I'm doing that on purpose so that he experiences the full gamut of all of the makas. So what's the point of this hasra? What is the hasra? What's the warning? How long, Pare, are you going to refuse? What does that mean? Le'anis, Rashi explains, Le'anis mipanei, li'as ani v'shafal mipanei. How long are you going to refuse and resist becoming like impoverished and lowly and humble before me? Asher tigdal ha So Rav Schwab says, it makes it even more perplexing. Ech yitachin sh'akadosh baruch hu tavei miparashia ani yushval v'shavu mipanav v'shah shekvar i efshar lo lepar l'shan shum davar I thought power can't change. So now you're expecting him not only to change a little bit, but to go all the way from being a tremendous balgaiva, so egotistical and liyah eriv aniasisim parai, you know, denies hakadosh baruch hu's very existence. Parai says that he's the god of Egypt and he doesn't know who Hashem is. And all of a sudden, hakadosh baruch hu is honestly expecting through this hasra, through this warning, that he's going to lay honest me pane, he's going to be shuffle, he's going to become suddenly a, uh, you know, like, like soft and sweet and, and humble and, and have humility. Like, how is that going to happen? He can't. He is, he is right now frozen in a, uh, in a trap of being, of remaining intransigent until the end of the Makkah. So what's being expected of this man? His heart has been hardened. There's no changing him. And another question that Rav Schwab has, until how long? For how long are you going to uh, refuse to get into that posture of being humble? How long? It sounds like there will be a day, this is like a nevuah, that there will be a day, someday will come, that this will actually transpire. That power will actually become this pussycat in front of Hashem. He's going to be, you know, very sweet, and he's going to be lowly, and he's going to be humble. So when did that happen? Does anyone know when that might have happened in history? No. I mean, that's... Uh, so there's a fascinating medrash, and this is what Rav Schwab brings. It's a Pirkei Derbeleazer, and Perak Mem Gimel. By the way, if you ever want to see a really amazing medrash, there's a sefer that he's quoting here called Pirkei Derbeleazer. And Pirkei Derbeleazer goes and describes through medrashim uh, from Bria Sa'ilam. It sort of reveals a lot of creation, and it goes through a lot of the Medrashim, some of them were familiar about Nayach and Avram Avinu and Yitzchak and the Akedah and Yaakov. And then it goes, it stretches all the way throughout history and it tells us about uh, Yaina and uh, quite elaborately in many other periods in history. 
And the beautiful part about the Pirkei Derbelazer, besides for its importance as a, as a major medrash, and that really sheds light on, on so much uh, detail of history, is that there's a pirish on Pirkei Derbelazer uh, by the Radal. The Radal was Reb David Luria, and he has, I would describe it as possibly the most brilliant commentary uh, of any uh, medrash just simply because the man lived hundreds of years ago. He did not have a Barilan computer program. He did not have access to uh, you know, any of the resources that we have. And he was mamish like able to marshal uh, these brilliant chidushim and medrashim and remazim from all over, from Shas and, 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 and Shulchan Aruch and uh, medrashim and and the, the mastery that he had to bring out the beauty of the Pirkei de Belazer is astounding. Anyway, it's a it's a highly recommended, uh, you know, safer to uh, to have as part of your collection and also to study, of course. So, in Pirkei Lazar, it speaks about in Parak Mem Gimel about the Maisa of Yaina, and the story of Yaina in a nutshell is that there was a prophet. His name was Yaina Ben Amitai, and he we lain it, of course, on uh, Yom Kippur by Mincha Safer Yaina. Uh, Yaina was approached uh, by Hashem, and Hashem sort of tells him, um, originally a little bit less, uh, you know, graphically as later in the, but basically he's supposed to go to Ninveh, which is a Gaisha city, and tell them to do tshuva, because they're very evil, and they're expecting, Hashem is expecting them to do tshuva. And Yaina does not want to do that, because Yaina realizes that if he goes and he tells them to do tshuva, there's a good chance they will do tshuva because Gayim are very receptive to tshuva. And when they do tshuva, that's going to really um, cast a bad light on Klai Yisrael who were very stubborn and they did not want to ever do tshuva. And so he refused and he wanted to stop getting this nevuah. So he thought that by going on a ship and, uh, and getting out of Eretz Yisrael, maybe the Wi-Fi connection in Chutz Laaretz would be less uh, strong and he wouldn't be getting the nevuah, which which didn't really happen the way he thought it would. And uh, ultimately he went on the boat and there was a storm and the sailors asked him, you know, what's your story? They figured that he's probably the cause of, of uh, they cast lots and they, it fell on him. They figured he was the cause of it and ultimately they threw him into the, into the ocean and, um, and he was swallowed by a fish and in the fish he... Uh, um, you know, he davened, and ultimately he was spat out by either that fish or a different fish um, onto the shoreline of Ninveh. And he said, okay, listen, this is what God wants. I can, I can run, but I can't hide from him. He goes to Ninveh, and he says, Hashem wants you to do tshuva. And the entire Ninveh, which was a city, a very, very big city, uh, with many, many people in it, and... Um, and hardened Rishayim, all of a sudden they just like, they roll over and they do tshuva. And they were inspired to do tshuva by the Melech of Ninveh. Now, who was this king of Ninveh that he basically himself was like a picture of, of tshuva? He gets off from his throne and he puts on sackcloth and he does everything that Yaina, you know, describes, you know, that Hashem is angry and whatever. He does everything textbook. So Pirkei de Belazer says... Let's see it inside. Shemelech Ninveh, Shayevimei Yaina. That Melech of Ninveh that was during the time of Yaina, 
It was that very pare, the pare that we're all familiar with, with from these parashas of Mitzrayim, pare had a second, uh, a second act. Right? Normally people don't get second acts, right? But pare got a second act. He survived somehow. Right? We all always think that pare drowned in, in the Yamsuf, right? But Chazal there say that that, 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 that Mitzrayim um, I don't know the exact lesson, but it says, I think it says a lesson of Ad Echad, that there was one person that survived the Yamsuf, Kriyas Yamsuf of the, of the Egyptians, even though 99.9% of the Egyptians all drowned in Kriyas Yamsuf, one of them survived. Who was that one that survived? Pare. And Pare makes his way to Ninveh. I don't know how many hundreds of years uh, this took place. He obviously was not a young man. Rav Schwab writes in brackets that it might have been a Gilgal of that Pare. But the simple Taichin that Pikachu was, it was that Pare. And all of a sudden, Pare reappears on the scene of history, and he's the one that galvanizes his people to do tshuva. Amazing. This, this Pare HaRosha that we're so, we talk about endlessly, you know, during the Seder night and these parashias, and we know as being a, a Rosha Gummer, all of a sudden he had a complete change of heart. He was then humbled. And he became this lowly, poor man before Hashem, completely, cha- completely changed himself. That the matter came before the king of Nineveh, the word of Yaina. He gets up from his throne. He takes off his king's, his royal robes. And he, he puts on himself sackcloth. And he sits on the dust, on the ashes. So he basically, he's a picture of tshuva. This Parai, Harasha, all of a sudden reappears, and he's a tzadigal, he's a little tzadigal. That's the king of Ninveh, and that, that makes everybody want to do tshuva there in Ninveh. And he, he made sure that everybody did do tshuva. So Rav Schwab says that this is what the Pasuk means when it says, Hashem said, How long is it going to take you already till you become an Ani, till you become a Shafel? When was that going to happen, says Rav I know when it happened. It happened when later on in history, hundreds of years later, Hitaka became an Ani and a Shafel, and he did Shuva, and he became, when he became the king of Ninveh. So this was going to happen. It did happen. It did transpire many, many years later. It would happen. And so there was an end in sight to this, to this warning. It wasn't just a warning. It was a warning that would have its day. So if it could happen hundreds of years later, and this is the same Pari, so Pari had the capacity to do this already in Egypt. He didn't have to wait till Ninveh. It's true. You're going to ask me, well, I thought Hashem hardened his heart, so he can't change. It's not true. Yes. If Pari wants to remain stark, he wants to remain gaivadik, and he wants to remain on his throne in front of everybody and always being a brash and egotistical and egomaniacal um, you know, person, then yes, there's no chance for him to change. However, let's say Pari would now in Egypt have done what he would do later in Ninveh. He would become an ani, poor, impoverished, weak, humble in front of Akadosh Baruch Hu. 
and he would get off his throne, sit on the floor, and contemplate what HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects from him. So then, like he did in Ninveh, that was the warning. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day that you will be mashable yourself. So don't wait. Don't procrastinate until Ninveh. Get off of your high horse, get off of your throne, and wallow in the dirt. How long do I need to wait for this, says Hashem? That was the warning. It's true that the warning doesn't seem that it's going to happen. Like Hashem hardened his heart. What's the, what are the chances that his warning will have any effect? But there would be an effect because Ad Masai, Hashem says, there, Hashem is giving him a little, uh, you know, a little um, peek into the future that there will be a day that you will change. I don't know when it will be. It could be in a thousand years from now. It might be now. But you have that ability to change. Don't think that, you know, that can all change in a minute. And even though, yes, your heart is hardened, that's only as long as you stay on your throne in all your glory. But if you get off of your throne and you're mashpil yourself before Hashem, you do tshuva and you say, Hashem, my bad, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please accept my tshuva, I'm going to get my whole people to change, that could have happened, that could have changed everything. Paray's heart being hardened, that's as long as he stays, you know, with all of his brashness. But when he absolves himself from that, when he gets off of his throne and he changes his tune, and he wants to do tshuva, HaKadosh Baruch would have accepted such a tshuva right away, and he says, I must say, how long do I have to wait for that tshuva? Because Hashem knew, and Hashem was telling him that there will be a day that you will humble, you will submit yourself to me, and to my will. So do it sooner than later. So now here of Schwab says, an amazing Musa this is a great vart that he says, but now he's going to bring it home to us in a very powerful way. Yishma Chacham, the Yosef Lekach, Lakachas Musa. That means a smart person will listen to this and he's going to take a lesson. We're going to leave tonight with a lesson. We're not just going to leave with a good vart. We're always trying to take home lessons. That's the point of these vadin. That's the point of the shmuz. We try to give, after the tire, we try to take something home with us, something tangible. Basher HaTshuva HaMitis Shal Kal Echad VeEchad how does a person do tshuva? Tshuva is, a, is not an easy thing to do. And we see that every, we don't, normally we don't speak about tshuva this time of year. We reserve it for, you know, Elul, Rosh Yom Kippur, Aser Sumei Tshuva. And then we sort of, you know, tuck it away until next Elul and then we sort of bring it out again. But tshuva is really a mitzvah, obviously, that we're supposed to be doing every day. Tshuva is a constant mitzvah, a constant opportunity that HaKadosh Baruch gives us that we don't have to have all the averis that we have. We build up a lot of plaque on our, on our neshamas by doing all these averis. And we could take our chances and wait until El, but how do we know that we're going to make it till El? Chas v'shalom, you know, we see people don't always make it till El. So we should always constantly try to do tshuva. What's the biggest problem with doing tshuva. What's the problem with doing tshuva? The problem with doing tshuva is that I feel, and we all feel, that we're good. 
There's nothing really I need to do tshuva for. I'm, I'm, a good, I'm good. I'm trying my best. Hashem understands me. I have every, you know, I'm doing as much as I can. I'm operating at, at full capacity. And I can't really, there's no point in me having to do tshuva because I'm good. And of course, that's not true. We can always do so much better. There's so much more to squeeze out of ourselves. In all regards, whether it's, you know, the mitzvahs that we do. You know, we could daven better. We could daven with more kaban. We could make more hachanas before we daven. We could learn better. We could have less bittel tyro. We could, uh, you know, learn on a higher level. We could, uh, you know, learn with, with greater hasmada. And all the mitzvahs that we put on tefillin, we're spacing out. We could really concentrate on, on the tefillin and the kedusha that it has. Um, and then, of course, we could do tshuva from our averis. We're not perfect in in our Lashon Hara department, our Shmir Sinayim department, in our, uh, etc., the list goes on and on. So there's always a lot to do. But what stops me from wanting to do tshuva is a certain sense of gaiva. It's the gaiva that, you know, I'm good, leave me alone, like, bug off, like, uh, stop telling me what to do, I'm fine, I'm trying my best, I'm good. I don't need to change. Change is for maybe other people, it's not for me, I'm doing good. And so the only way that a person can really be receptive to doing tshuva is when a person is able to be mashbil themselves before Hashem. To go before Hashem and humble themselves and say, I'm not in any position to, uh, to be a balgaiva. I have so many weaknesses, I have so many flaws, and you're perfect, Hashem, and I'm here submitting to you uh, my imperfections and my willingness to change for you. When we're able to be mashful ourselves, like ultimately Pyro was able to do in Ninveh, and he gets off his mighty throne and he changes his whole posture and realizes that I'm not as great as I want to believe I am. And I, I'm, I'm good, but we should feel good. We shouldn't feel depressed. We should feel that we're trying really hard and that's a good thing. But at the same time, to maintain our, our hashpala, our shiftless, the, a certain ability to be subservient and submissive to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Like we find in the tefillah of Rabbah, Basar Tzuluse, after he used to daven, he used to say, that I am ashes when I am dust, um, when I'm alive, and certainly when I die, I'm going to become dust. I am before you, Hashem, like a vessel that's full of busha, full of embarrassment, uchlima, and, and disgrace. And, I, uh, um, and it should be your will that I don't sin anymore. And when a person can do that, then at that point he's able to change. A person can't do tshuva if he thinks he's perfect. Only when a person recognizes that he's not perfect, and that he's got a lot of work to do, and I think we all, it's safe to say, have a lot of work to do, no matter who you are, we're all imperfect, we all have plenty to, to work on. So when we go before Hashem and say, I'm your servant, here I am, I just want to do your will. I don't want to have this gaiva. I want to be able to be mashful myself before you. That's the point that a person can change. You know, this isn't only nageya ben adam la makim. This is very nageya ben adam la chaverei. 
Um, a lot of times you have, uh, let's say, marriages. So you have a husband and a wife, and maybe the husband and the wife, or the husband alone, or the wife alone, has a certain sense of, you know, stolz. Like, they're very stubborn, and they want, it's their way, you know, or the highway. There's no other way. It's going to be my way, and that's it. And especially if they're both that way, it's a very big problem because neither of them have the ability to be flexible, so they're both always insisting on having everything done their own way, and it's always going to cause friction between the two. And then there, there comes that day, and it happens, I think, in every marriage that exists, that survives, that you recognize that I can't go through life this way. I'm not going to be able to win, to win every time, or even or any time, as long as I'm being so stubborn. I have to learn the art of being able to be mashful myself, to lower myself. Um, they once asked Rav, Shua, uh, Rav Shach, the Panavich Shiva, what's your secret to Shalom Bayes? He had like an idyllic marriage to his wife for decades and decades. And they asked him like, what's the secret to Shalom? What's your secret? How do you do it? Like so many people are having machlekes and you're always having Shalom Bayes. You have such a great marriage. So he says, there's three secrets to Shalom Bayis. Whenever I give a chasen shmuz uh, to a chasen about the Shalom Bayis issue, the chasen right away, like you're doing, takes out his pen and it's like, you know, you want to get the secret sauce. Like, how do you, okay, give me the three. So these are the three. Vitor, meaning to be mevater, to give in. That's number one. Second one, anyone know? That's right, Vitor. To be mevater. And the third thing is vitor. If you're mevater and you're mevater, that's the trick to Shalom Bayis. You just have to have the art of vitor, being, being able to be submissive, to say, yes, dear, thank you, dear, I was wrong, my bad. And it seems sort of wimpy. It seems like, you know, that's not a good idea. Why, why can't you be yourself? But I'm not, yeah, try being, you know, if, you're, if you don't understand this, you're not going to be able to succeed in marriage. Because if both are, if neither are willing to be mevater to the other, then you're just going to keep on butting heads and it's going to be a disaster. The second that you realize, all right, listen, maybe when I was a bacher I was able to be stubborn, but now i got to change my tune. As soon as that happens, then suddenly you're able to have tranquility in your house because I don't have to win. It's just, what, do you, what would you like? You know, we're, we're, you know, I was just speaking to a chassan the other day and describing uh, you know, different uh, you know, things about marriage, and he says, yeah, I let my wife do this, I let my wife do that, and he's, Baruch Hashem, he's smart. He learned even before he got married that he has to keep, you have to just keep giving in. And when you lose, you win. The more you give in, the more you win. If you're having a fight with anybody, this is true, by the way. It's very important by marriage because marriage is so crucial to get it right. You know, you don't have, you don't have that much uh, uh, margin of error. But if you're ever having an issue with your roommate, you know, I'm sure in all our years of dorming, wherever, wherever it may be, whether it was high school or, or Tisral or, or in Lander, you know, I'm sure we had some machlekas with roommates. It's inevitable almost. It's very rare that you have a perfect relationship with your roommate. It might be because one, you, know, you want to go to sleep earlier, you want to go to sleep later, you, one is messier, one is cleaner, one is this, one is that. There's always issues with roommates. How do you get over it? So either the easy thing is just you know, ask Rabbi Kavitnikov to switch your room. That's the easy thing. But then you're going to just get into another room and have a with that person. 
So one way to solve the problem, and it works every time it's tried, it doesn't always feel so good, but is to be mevater, just give in. You know, if a person's, if, you're, if he says, you're, turn, you're, the light, you're keeping the light on too late, I want to get to sleep, you know, at 11 o'clock, and now it's, uh, and you come into the room at, at 12.30, and I, you're waking me up, and whatever, so say, you're right, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again. You can either say, no, I'm not, no, no, no. You can take that posture, you could say, or you could say, no, I want to be mevater to you. And every time you're mevater in life, you always win. You'll always come out ahead. Rav Steinemann has a, has a saying, and it's found on many posters, like in Eretz Yisrael primarily, but I'm sure in America they sell them as well. It's an, a picture of Rav Steinemann, and it says, this was his line, like he always, he'd always advised people to move out there in any situation. Anytime people came to him for advice, and he, they came by the thousands to him for advice, and they I'm having a problem with my partner, I'm having a problem with my roommate, I'm having a partner, problem with my wife, I'm having a problem with my father-in-law. He would say like this, Nar Hayisi Gamza Kanti says, I was young and I also got old. Vilay Raisi. Now you're gonna think I'm gonna say Tzadik Nezer because that's the Pasuk, but he changed it. He says, Vilay Raisi Mevater Mafsid. I never in my life saw somebody that gave in, that was Mevater, that conceded. Lose. You never lose. You'll always win when you give in. But what do you mean? How, how am I winning? I'm, I'm, I'm a wimp. I'm, I'm giving in to the guy. I don't want to give in. I want to win. You will never lose out by being Mavater. So this lesson that we're learning tonight from Rav Schwab is something that really applies to everything. Just like, just like Hashem warns Parai, and Masa Manta, how long do I have to wait for you until you humble yourself? It's going to happen. So you might as well do it now. Do it, do it sooner than later. Be Mavatar to me. Get off of your throne. Change your tune. And everything could be good. Hashem is saying that to all of us as well. Hashem is saying to us that at Masa Manta, how long do I have to wait for you to do Chuba? What's stopping you from doing Chuba? Your Gaiva? You're, you don't think you're, that you have anything to change? You think you're so perfect? You're going to change ultimately, so do it now. Change now, tonight. Say slach and say you're sorry. Takarish Say you're sorry to your wife. Say you're sorry to your roommate. Say you're sorry to Chavrusa. And when you do that, you're going to be the biggest winner. You're going to get close to the Rabbi Yisham. You're going to get close to your wife. You're going to get close to your partner. You're going to get to your business partner. You're going to get close to your, you know, to those are things that you, uh, you know, that's that's a constant rule of life. You can get into fights, and if you get into fights, you'll always be in fights. If you're a, a guy that's always fighting with everybody, never having an easy time with people, you'll always have that. It, it, doesn't, it might be today your roommate, tomorrow it's going to be your wife, it's going to be your kids, it's going to be your, your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your partner in business, your employer, your employee. You're always going to be a fighter. But how long do I have to wait for you to change? Just change. Stop being so stubborn. And start being one of those people that are, that are nice, that are kind, that are sweet, that are able to give in to Mavatar. And when that happens, you'll see the whole world changes. Everyone will love you. You'll, you're the Mavatar. You're the guy that always Mavatar. I'll tell you one story and then we'll end. Beautiful story. Uh, there was a young boy who was a, uh, his mother was very sick. He was a, like a 14-year-old boy. He was in Eretz Yisrael and he was in the hospital with his mother on Shabbos. And Rebel Yashib was in the same hospital. And it was a very select minion that Rebel Yashib had. They had like a few of his, uh, 
of his, of his Shamashim and a few other people in the hospital, they made just a minion, and they needed a Balkaira to lane whatever parsha it was. And they were asking around, does anyone know how to lane? Nobody knew the parsha. This 14-year-old boy knew the parsha, and he had the, the cover of laning for Balyashiv, you know, who was the Paisagadar, and he was already like Samach Lemisas, he was about to die. He laned for Balyashiv, and Balyashiv afterwards gave him a big Yashar Kayach, he did such a beautiful job. And, um, and he asked, he was schmoozing him, he says, what, do you, what brings you to the hospital? So he says, My mother is very sick. He says, Would it be okay if I bring her to the, to the Rav and to get a bracha? He says, uh, sure. So she, he brings his mother to Rebbe Yashiv. She, he gives him a, a bracha that she should have her foolish lema. And he was complimenting his mother. You know, Rebbe Yashiv was saying how beautiful he leaned. He says, hey, you know, was this his bar mitzvah parasha? So the mother says, let me tell you the story. He says, last year was his bar mitzvah. He's 14 now. A year ago, this Shabbos was his bar mitzvah. And he, lay, he learned how to lay, and he practiced a million times. He knew it perfect. And he comes to shul, and they notice that there's a whole nother, like, big family in the shul, and there's another bar mitzvah boy, and the gabai chaps that he had double-booked the shul, meaning he, he, he thought that there was only one bar mitzvah boy, and there ended up being two seven mitzvah boys. They were both prepared to lane. And the families were all there, the friends were all there to listen to each of the respective bar mitzvah bachrim. And, uh, and it was back and forth, what should we do? It's a problem. So maybe they should split the parasha. This boy says, no, I'm a vater. Nara yisi gamzakantiv, lorisim vater mafsid, I'm a vater. He can lay in the parasha. It was a big sacrifice. He wanted to lay in the parasha, but he gave it over to the other guys. I'm not going to fight with you. This is it. It's your parasha. And, um, and that was the end of the story. He gave it over, and that was it. Until a year later, and that's when he understood the reward. HaKadosh Baruch Hu blessed him with, because he was Mavatar a year ago, maybe that was the schus that he had for being able to, to lay in the ultimate Kriya Satire in front of Rebel Yashiv, and to get a bracha as a result of that for his mother, and I think she had a Rufu Shlema from that, all because of the power of Vitor. So this is something that, you know, whenever we're like stubborn, we should hear these words of Astrata Parai. Ad Masa someday we will be Mavatir, but why does it have to be when we're old and gray? Why do we have to learn it, you know, after so many trials and errors? Why can't we learn it already now? And if we're able to learn the power of Vitor now when we're Bachrim, and we could try it out tonight with our roommates, we could try it out with our chabrusas, we could try it out with our friends, with our family, and it's, it's, it, it works every time it's tried, then we're going to be the best husbands, we're going to be the best fathers, we're going to be the best community members, we're going to be the best children, we're going to be, the, we're going to be amazing people, because this is the key to life, the key to successful living, in one word, is Vitor. And when Pare, Pare Nebuch had to wait so long, he had to go through all the Eser Makas, he had to almost drown in Kriyas Yamsov, he had to go through all the Bizyainas. Finally, hundreds of years later in Inveh, he learned the lesson. Ad Masamanto. He didn't have to wait that long. He could have done it right away, instantaneously. And, the, and this whole Kvedas Halev that Hashem sent, the hardening of the heart, that would have been gone. Because when you're Mavater, everything that you have, the stubbornness, all melts away because Vitor is a power above all else. It transcends every stubbornness, every bad midah can be fixed as soon as you learn the power 
of giving in, of conceding, and of saying to somebody that you're right and I'm wrong.